Hello, wonderful person, and welcome back to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and I have a feeling this is going to be a good episode because for once, we're all in the same room together, the same house, actually, for two weeks. Casimir is in front of me, IRL. Kaz, I think we'd make great roommates, don't you? Yeah, it would be good. Yeah. Like long-term roommates. How long? Like 30 to 40 years. Uh, like long-term. Right. Yeah. Know. Like the people that live together for a long, long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I'll consider it. I feel like I just got rejected. <laughs> I think you did. He's way less enthusiastic than I expected him to be. It's a lot of you. I see a lot of me, we don't say anything. Coming in. There's a lot of years of Levy. Yeah, like 30 years. I like two weeks two of Levy years. a year, or like four weeks. But at the end of this year, we've spent a lot of weeks together. That's true, yeah. Yeah. That's good, though, because we didn't spend much time together during crank work. So yeah. it's, it's good to find We're making up for lost time. We are. I'm almost done, though. You're right. Maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alicia is here as well. Thank God. Or I'd have to talk to Casimir, and he talks so damn much. He's so chatty and never shuts up. Isn't Alicia? that what you want? Uh... Is that what I want? Talk to Casimir for 30 to 40 years. No, I just like being in the same room as them. We just sit in the oh, same room it's together It's an atmosphere silently. thing. Yeah. I get that because that's what I do as yeah. well when the three of us hang out. Yeah. yeah. I think everybody expects that like we go to these field tests and it's like party time and we're all <laughs> drinking and everything. But the reality is we're going to bed at about 830. We're waking up at seven or earlier. It's pretty chill. <laughs> it's pretty chill. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Alicia? I could live with you all, but you know what I'm not a fan of? Dad's skinny rides. When he makes us go on mountain bike rides that are basically all skinnies. By dad, I mean Casimir, of course. How did you feel about <laughs> that skinny ride yesterday? Man, that was a lot of skinnies. It was like the whole trail was skinnies. Too many. For like a, an entire trail. Yeah. Yeah. Did you There's see how many Kaz rode? All of them. Like 100%, close to 100%. Yeah, they're, but, they're, they're very low to the ground, easy skinnies. Some of them were over two some feet were, off the ground, Kaz. <laughs> you know what they need? Some were significantly over two feet off the ground. Some were like real, like oh, pretty yeah. legit. Yeah, actual features. Garmin needs a skinny counter, like they had that. Ooh. Oh, that's a great idea. Counter. Hey, Trail Forks counter. dev guys. Yeah. Hey, Trevor, if you're forks. listening. Yeah. Anyways. Your skinny ride, Kaz. I spent most of the time on the ground walking around everything. I was, you could have done them. You I was confident. embarrassed. We'll do training. It's good, though. Kaz yeah. was really excited. Yeah. Which was... I don't like being called a dad, though. I wouldn't have minded if I had a dad that took me on riding to ride skinnies when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> that. <laughs> That'd be all right. This is now a therapy podcast, <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Coach. Yeah. Coach Kaz. Yesterday's skinny ride is when we had the idea for this podcast, the progression and regression thing, because... We rode a river runs through it, which is full of skinnies, and I went around them all. The last time I rode that trail was probably two decades ago, and I think I rode most of them. So that's where this idea comes from anyway, but there's more than just the three of us here. We also have Matt Beer here. Hello. So I'm here, Kaz is here, and Alicia is here because we're, we're doing a trail bike field test. Matt's doing something a lot more fun, though. Matt's riding downhill bikes, many downhill bikes, in the bike park. Matt, are you allowed to say the bikes that you have, or are some still secret? No, I think we can let them out of the bag by now. Yeah, what, what are they? Well, we have three of five. There are still two pending, and we're into day three. But we have a nuke-proof Descent 297, so that's the mullet version. And then we have a Canfield Jedi and the Antidote Dark Matter. Those are some very cool bikes. I Probably think. not but, the ones you'd find in a bike shop. Yeah, exactly. But they are very neat. Especially that antidote. It looks like it's from another planet. 
It you rides like, like it's from another planet. You like it? I do, but you got to hold on for sure. It's uh, it's zippy. Are you jealous that we're out on trail bikes, sometimes in the bike park and you're on downhill bikes? Or are you pretty happy with having three times as much travel as <laughs> late season bike park breaking bumps? <laughs> the brake calls are so big. Yeah, we just disappear entirely into the holes. I'm, my trail bike is going into the bump and not coming yeah. out. If I go missing, you should check all the bottoms of the check holes. Check the holes. Yeah. I would definitely be riding different trails if I was on the trail bikes versus the downhill bikes. Right. That's for sure. Yeah. I would like to start with a little pedal or a warm up rather than just jumping straight into it. You could just go one. easy, Matt. Have you ever? It doesn't really work. No, I know. It just hurts <laughs> no, more to hold on, and you usually crash more frequently. Yeah. There's our problem. That's why we're hurting so much. We're going too slow. Oh, we go faster. We just skim over the top yeah. of the bumps instead of falling into them, doing this <laughs> over and over and over again. More is less. More is less. Right. Matt? Do you think you're going faster or slightly slower in the bike park than you used to? Than I used to. Like when you were racing full time? I would say faster right now because the bikes allow you to go faster at the same perceived speed. So you think you're trying just as hard, but the bikes have way more traction, bigger wheels, all that stuff. Yeah. Like the bike progression is allowing you to go faster. For sure. Yeah. A big factor. That's something else that we're going to talk about later on in this show as well. Um, we're also going to talk about how to deal with moving backwards. I expected you to tell me you were going slower, Matt, but <laughs> now that I think about it. No, yeah, he doesn't Matt go. doesn't really slow down. No. No, it's not, not really so much. His thing. Well, not racing. You definitely have the choice to not go as fast if you want, which is really, really nice. I can just I, turn it off when I don't, I don't need to. I don't know if you have that choice. Do you? Like, yeah. does it go away? It does. And depending on who I'm riding with, we'll like call out different kinds of speeds we'll ride A-line at. So like if it's a speedy group, we'll just like scrub and squash everything. Yeah. But if it's like a bunch of bros and chicks and we're just having fun, then we'll just say like, oh, we're going to boost all the jumps. So you go slower and higher. Can, hey, Kaz, when you ride A-line, Do you do that? Are you like, oh, this run, I think I'm just going to boost everything and go super high or this run, I'm going to squash it. Or are you just, do you have your A-line? I'm capable of doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I can ride A-line different ways also. Okay. I'm not, but we'll we'll talk about that (laughs) later on in a few minutes. Uh, We're going to talk about moving forward, moving backwards, uh, why progressing is so important. Uh, But first, Kaz, we haven't talked about the news in weeks and weeks. So can you Tell us what's been happening. Sure. Yeah, we had some interesting stuff this week. We'll start off with the new Crestline and Cascade components. They teamed up to create a virtual high pivot downhill bike. I think the top comment kind of summed it up. It said it looks like a Santa Cruz session. It's pretty good. Carbon fiber frame, um, 205 millimeter to travel. It's got a dual link design with either pulley. And those aluminum links, they're made by Cascade components. So kind of a neat collaboration. And Matt, you actually got to spend some time on that bike. What'd you think? This week's Pink Bike Podcast is brought to you by Rimpact Tire Inserts. Made in the UK, Rimpact has been constantly improving their inserts for five years and recently released a new e-bike insert as well as gravel and cross-country inserts. There's a sale right now over on their website where you can get your inserts at some great discounts. Head on over to www.rimpactmtb.com now. I did. I was up here in Whistler. And also rode down in North Van- or West Vancouver, I guess. I rode Cypress a bunch. So, yeah, I got some park laps, got some, you know, more traditional North Shore downhill in. And it was a unique bike. It definitely had elements of the VPP and the Cascade links. You know, there was 
quite a bit of progression for some of the huge hits, but it was also very supple off the top. And if you were to tell me it was, uh, like had a rearward axle path, I might not have guessed that right away, but it felt very smooth. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool bike. Yeah. Definitely interesting. Always cool to see smaller companies making some, making their own bikes out there. More options are always better. Did you guys see Henry's comment in the Slack channel about it's so good. It's so good. Wait, what did he say? Wasn't it like Santa Cruz is going to make links for this bike just out of spite? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's pretty good. They should run with that and just yeah. be. They yeah. should make one. We need we more comedy links. in the industry yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on from downhill bikes that look cool to Matthew Vanderpool. I don't know. Good transition for this because basically Matthew Vanderpool, he pled guilty to. Cass, uh, you don't have a good transition from downhill bikes <laughs> downhill to like bikes hitting to children? No, yeah, it's a tough Come one. On. I know. Off the top of my head, it's tricky. I, uh, if I, with more time, I could think of something, but for now, we'll just go right into it. So basically, uh, Vanderpool was trying to sleep. Some teenage girls were banging on his door, so he got angry, uh, woke up, opened the door, shoved the kids. The police were called, and he pled guilty. So um, now he has a three-year ban from Australia and probably needs some like therapy or counseling or something. He shouldn't hit small children, no matter how annoying they are. For sure. Have you ever played Nikki Nikki Nine Door, Alicia? Um, I don't remember. I don't think so. Matt? Definitely. Yeah. Casimir? <laughs> no, I don't think so. It's like doorbell dash, that kind of thing. Like you yeah. ring him. Yeah. I, I never really like played a week it. Ago. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Ring and run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I never played, but I get, I get the concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. I could see why they were doing <laughs> that, it. <laughs> that was you during crank works, just banging on the hotel room doors <laughs> yeah, running around. Exactly. <laughs> there were some funny comments under that article, article as well, saying that the, the girls were French and, or from Belgium, or they were like the kids of Wout Van Aert or other racers. Some little conspiracy the theories. Case, but, yeah, yeah, conspiracy theories in there. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Either way, don't hit kids. That's the moral of the story. And now Vanderpool can't go to Australia for three years. So, um, yeah, in more news, we'll go back to bikes. And we've got a review of the digit datum. No like, transition. I know. I'm, it's hard to think of transitions on the fly. Yeah. Especially like witty ones. There's a lot. So, someone will do it for me in the comments with all kinds of puns. But okay. we'll just keep rolling on. Um, I guess you could start speaking of digits <laughs> that works, right? <laughs> yeah. You hit kids with your digits and now we're yeah, going to talk works. about, yeah, there we go. All right. The digit datum, it's got integrated analog suspension. So basically it has a strut in the top tube of it. So that shock is kind of hidden inside the top tube, um, to give it 140 millimeters of travel, really clean looking bike room for lots of water bottles, um, aluminum frame. And it was pretty light too. I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 pounds, which bikes keep getting heavier. This one was not heavy. And Alicia reviewed this one. So how did the bike ride? I was actually pretty impressed by the normalcy of that thing. It looks pretty wacky. It almost looks like it's not even a full suspension bike. And the fact that it weighs so little and has such a streamlined design with such like so few parts, and they actually managed to make it ride fairly normally, I thought was really interesting. Like just putting that level of functionality into something so simple. So it was really eye-opening. It was just cool and fun to play with something different. Is that made in the U.S.? It Yeah, it's made in California. Yeah, so that's cool too. Another small company, another U.S. made thing. Another, mm -hmm. just a different option. So. Yeah, I said in the review the geometry wasn't quite what I was hoping for. And I think that's partly due to just like the sizing being a little strange and partly due to just maybe it not being made for really aggressive riding. But it was definitely fun and it worked as a bike. So. Yeah. Fun to play with. It does have a pretty slack seat tube angle compared mm -hmm. to modern bikes. I think it's 75 degrees. Angle, long top tube. Um, but it was fun. Alicia, I have a question for you. Yes. When I see a strange looking proprietary shock, 
I hear weird noises and I feel top outs. Is that, was that what happened or was it, did it feel normal? It actually felt pretty normal. And with the proprietary thing, um, he's actually tried to make it really serviceable for average home mechanics and not something you need to send in and deal with a bunch of strange parts for. So it's actually less of an issue than you might think with proprietary shit. He actually showed me how to do that at Sea Otter. I just oh, remembered right. it, it comes yeah. out of the head tube. Yes, there's a port the at the out. front of the bike. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty wild. It is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, obviously I say it all the time. I got a soft spot for people doing different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. How it's does cool it come out of the head tube? You got to take the head tube badge off. Oh, mm-hmm. neat. That's pretty Sh- sneaky. Secret. Secret. Yeah. yeah, trap door. It was like those Eastern BMXs that had like a cutout in the head tube. Yeah. Said, wait. So you could see the steering mm. tube in there. Yeah. yeah. You don't need any material there anyway. Nah. Remember that production Privé, the uh, hardtail? I think it was like the first bike review I ever did for Pink Bike. The, oh. hard, the head tube had a little cutout like where the badge would be. They cut it out, and then they yeah. had wire mesh behind it. It looked really cool. That was a gorgeous bike. It was real that was pretty. A steel. It was 853 steel, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a blue and or red and white paint job. Yeah. Yeah, steel. That was a long time ago now. Very long. That was 10 years ago. Of course, somebody scooped me on the in the Pink Bike comments, but... The digit datum definitely reminded me of the Balfa Bel Air. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah. Does everybody remember that one? Yeah. He's he's definitely not the first guy to put a shock in the top tube. Yeah. We've seen prototypes. There was that resistance thing mm-hmm. a few years ago now. Obviously, that he only made one or two of those. But there's been some production things as well that had shocks in the top tube. Yeah. Remember Aaron, Chase's, Aaron Chase made that little slope style bike that was basically a lefty? Oh, yeah. For the, for the no, it was like URT. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they ever saw production. But it was like his own little weird slope style bike that was a neat little thing uh-huh yeah. yeah so yeah not the first time and tim the um the owner of digit he knows it's not the first but it's kind of a more modern take on some of the previous designs so yeah definitely an interesting bike and let's wrap up the news with the final overall standings for the 2022 ews season that just wrapped up last weekend so we have isabel Cordurier. uh she won for the elite women and we had jesse melmid won for the men fuck yes yeah Nice work, Jesse and Isabeau. That's hard to be the top for a whole long season. That's a lot of racing. Um, for many seasons like Isabeau. Yeah, true. She's been crushing it for a long time now. Um, but yeah, really cool for both of them. And the U21 women, we had Emmy Lan and U21 men, Luke Meyer-Smith. Luke Meyer-Smith had a really good season because he was doing downhill races too and had some strong results there. So that kid on the up and up. Um, the master women. I feel like this name is hard for me Here to we pronounce. Go, Here <laughs> yeah. we go. I should have read this before, but <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. I can um, help. I know her. Okay, that's good. Do you want to say her name? No, 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 She's really cool. Cool. And then for the master men, Kareem Amore. Surprise. And then the team is Pivot Factory Racing, I guess. Yeah, Eddie and Matt Walker, they were going fast all season. So that probably gave them a bunch of points. Yeah. That's how you do it. Yeah. And Morgan Shar out there on flat pedals. Oh, yeah. I forgot oh, about that. yeah. She's probably yeah, one of the she's only. She's been fun to watch. She's been killing it. Yeah, she probably has the highest ranked flat pedal rider of the season for the UWS, right? Probably. Sam didn't do that well, so she was up there. Cool. Yeah, and then we have what, Trophy Nations comes up next. That format still confuses me a little bit, but there's a bunch of people doing a little bit more enduro racing soon. I don't even know what that is. What is that, guys? It's the different people, or the different racers from each country. It's kind of like... Oh, it's like Race of Champions, but for mountain bikes. Yeah. 
They race as teams. At least they did a few years ago. Yeah. Like, they would go like, all three together. Yeah. Down the run. Oh, that sounds like a shit show. And neat. Yes. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> it's coming up soon. So we'll have coverage at, at some point. I think, uh, is it this weekend? Next weekend? They should do it all on the same bike. Like a tandem with a chariot. Oh, yeah. That's random. <laughs> well, that's, that's what they have to do. The race of champions. They all have to race in the same cars. Oh, okay. Oh, we're all on the same bike. That'd be sick too. That would be, I think that would be interesting. A series where everybody is on the same bike or they should maybe do like a crankworks thing where you have to use one bike for the entire event. This is totally off topic, but oh, just yeah. combining things, condensing things, making them more exciting. Yeah. That's what the king yeah, should we've be. Talked about that before with crankworks, one bike for the all sorts thing. of things. That sounds like something that Tom should do and make a video of. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, he, he did that at Sea Otter, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah he did. He did. Yeah. yeah, he made a video too. That feels True. like a long time yeah. ago now, yeah. everybody. It's really good. <laughs> okay, let's let's go on to questions. This this question is relevant, I think, because we're here riding some trail bikes. Kaz, you ride a lot of enduro bikes. Uh, so this is from Fenster M. He says, "How do some of these all-around or more pedal-friendly enduro bikes compare to shorter travel trail bikes?" It feels like a trail bike. Uh, does it still offer any advantages over 150 millimeter bikes? So we've talked about this before, Kaz, like trail bikes and enduro bikes converging. Um, yeah. So what, well, how, how would you answer that? Um, that's a hard, It's kind of tricky just because he's, I feel like he's combining categories into another category. Like, yeah, disregard the short travel trail, trail bike thing. Yeah. But like, I mean, if you're comparing a pedal efficient enduro bike to a trail bike, yeah. um, I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have more travel with that enduro bike. So if you're pushing hard and hitting bigger things, you're going to have more travel in reserve for really big hits. Or if you're on that shorter travel bike, even if the geometry is exactly the same, they might feel similar, but on a really big hit, you're still going to, it's going to be more jarring on that shorter travel bike. What are the advantages of the short travel bike though? I think you're going to also get a little bit, you're going to feel the word playful. I'm not going to say it, but you can get it. You just did. I did say energetic, (laughs) Energetic. (laughs) say it's full of energy. (laughs) You know, with shorter travel, you are going to be that ramp up at the end of the stroke. You're going to notice a little bit more. So that you're kind of, it's not going to be quite as plush typically. Yeah. Um, So that does give you just a little bit more of a platform to push into. Um, yeah, it can make it easier to jump, just easier to feel efficient compared to a longer travel bike. Yeah. But again, at a certain point it can be split in hairs. They can feel pretty similar. Um, which isn't a bad thing. A lot of it just kind of comes down to what someone's looking for. So, are there any trail bikes that you would do enduro races on? Yeah, I mean, I, you could do. Of course, trail bikes are great these days. But are there any trail bikes that you'd want to do enduro races on? I should ask. Not really, but there are some that wouldn't be that wouldn't hold you back that much. I think there's a lot of good 140 trail bikes out there. Um, Name one. Propane Eugene. Yeah, yeah. I just talked about it's an e-bike kind of, but that track rail. Or oh, sorry, yeah. not the rail, the the fuel exe. Yep, that's mm-hmm. one fifty up front, one forty out back, and that thing is really capable downhill. Yeah, so you could do some e enduro with that. But even e for the enduro. regular, we've got the the new the fuel x here as well on that bike too. Same thing, one forty rear. You could put a one sixty fork on it and definitely do some enduro races and be fine. They should just call that a remedy now. It's so close. I know it feels a lot. It's like so a good too. Yeah, it's yeah. Good. So yeah, there are definitely bikes out there. But again, if you were gonna you know, do the full like EWS season, you're probably going to want a little more travel. Even like here at Whistler, the, the track here is pretty rough. So you could race it on these bikes, but if you're going to really dedicate to that, that extra travel does help. But if you only can have one bike and you typically do more trail rides, a little short travel might be more fun. Yeah. Alicia, you've raced a whole bunch of Enduros. Mm-hmm. You really like that propane, Eugene. Mm-hmm. 
Would you I gotta be going... stop talking about that bike. But well, it was no, you're good. still you're talking about that bike about three hundred percent less than Henry used to talk about his spire. So you're good. That still. is true. <laughs> you're good. How would you like to race on that thing? Like, would you? Do you think you'd be going slower on that bike compared to a real enduro bike? It really depends on the course. I mean, yeah. outside of EWS, a lot of enduro tracks are actually pretty tame, and in a lot of cases, I would love to race a one forty mil bike just because so much of like the regional stuff and even like nationals several years in a row at winter park was really, really tame. I think I raced a 135 mil bike at nationals one year and placed like fifth. I think mm-hmm. it was, um, not necessarily a course that called for a really aggressive bike. And I think things are still that way. Things are trending more toward the aggressive. I think as people have realized that, you know, enduro means gnarly tracks in theory and, also, bikes have gotten longer and better, and now we have these 170 mil bikes that have sort of taken the place of 150 bikes from a few years ago. And mm-hmm. I think bike technology has progressed, allowing people to race gnarlier tracks. But that's a rambly way to say depends. Yeah, of course, depends on a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember when enduro racers were racing on like 140 mil travel 29ers? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, remember Graves. when that was long? Yeah, yeah. Jerry yeah. Graves and that stump jumper. He rode that for probably longer than. A lot of people did for shorter travel bikes. Yeah. So we've been in the bike park a little bit. We've been out of the bike park a lot too, but we've been riding 140 bikes in the bike park lately. feels really rough. feels <laughs> Imagine rough. Imagine doing a dirt yeah. race on those things. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, it's like pretty impressive what you can do with these shorter travel bikes. Yeah. The Geo's you know, crazy. Like, I mean, think of 140 bikes from even, I don't know, seven years ago or something. We I wouldn't be to. riding the same trails, at least the same way we're riding them now. I guess I want to shout out to you. I just remembered... Uh, I did the Trans Cascadia right around a year ago, and I'm just thinking that a 140 bike would be incredible for a race like that. Like, it's a blind stage format race, and it kind of takes you. There were a lot of gnarly sections for sure. There were some really steep parts and moto ruts and spots where I would love a 170 bike, but at the same time, there were really long days of pedaling, and mm-hmm. part of it was just managing exhaustion and staying consistent. And if you're trying to just do a massive day and be consistent and keep it together, I think having a friendly all-around bike counts for something. Yeah. I think my last piece of advice for Fenster would be if you do want to race on this thing, is buy the bike for your weakness. If you're a really, really good descender for where you live and for the races that you're going to do, relatively speaking, against the people you're going against at the race, um, well, then maybe you could get away with something a little bit with a little bit less travel that's a little bit more efficient if you're not as fit and then you might gain some time elsewhere and you could ride around those bikes that bike's weakness um maybe not you know i don't know i think that applies if you're riding just to or buying a bike to try to be as fast as you can but he doesn't actually mention racing in the question so yeah true i'm wondering too if he should buy a bike for his strength just to really maximize like if he's a strong downhill rider and enjoys riding downhill the most Get the bike that's going to shine exactly where you're going to be having the best possible time. Yeah, you're buying it to have fun. Yeah, if, if you're someone who's not really in it for the climbing and isn't a strong climber and doesn't care that much, then like maybe just write that off entirely. I don't know. I think, I don't know, there's no answer. No, it depends yeah. again, Fenster. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> He's on the Fenster. Oh. <laughs> Bump, bump. Dad jokes. <laughs> I'm the new dad. Oh, you're go. the new dad. That okay. works, actually. <laughs> Kaz doesn't want the dad title. He gave it up, so yeah. Matt's the dad now. Sounds good. I'm good with that. Okay. 
All right, so let's get talking about progression and regression. That's been on our minds a lot over the last handful of days that we've been here in Whistler. Uh, we've been in the bike park on trails that, I mean, Kaz, you and I have been riding these trails for a long, long time. And riding them now, I got to admit, I was getting a little frustrated here and there because I wasn't doing the things as well as I used to do the things. I was riding behind you. I was keeping up to you. I was right on your wheel, actually. Uh-huh. But I was definitely uh, not the, you know how, you know, I'm usually like in a lot of control and like, like really looking ahead down the trail and anticipating things. I, I wasn't quite doing mm, that as much. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you could tell from the noises or not. I was making behind you. I did hear noises. I was worried. <laughs> Those are the noises of fun, Casimir. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. You had a lot of fun. Okay. Let's talk about getting better before we talk about getting worse. Alicia, aside from when you first started. When were you progressing the most in your riding? I think I progressed when, well, A, obviously when I've been riding a lot, but B, when I've gone to a new place that has just offered me a ton of new terrain for me to just check off features really quickly. And yeah, I mean, just anytime when I'm in the steep learning curve of really anything. So move to a place with a bunch of good jumps, such as this year in Bellingham or moved to a place with some really steep downhill trails. Like when I first moved to Missoula, we had some good trails that I think really challenged me a lot. Um, spending time in Whistler, anytime I've come up here, I think I've progressed. There was a summer when I spent a ton of time at Silver Mountain Bike Park over in Idaho. I was there every weekend just hammering out laps and that's probably the sharpest point in my progression. Um, and then there was the year that I got really fit I got a lot faster on the descents for one season when I was like just going mm-hmm. hard with the strength thing. Mm-hmm. And that was like gym training or mm-hmm. on the yeah, bike training? It was actually mind blowing. Yeah. It was like an unsustainable amount of like strength training. It, it was <laughs> like, all in. it was too much for a little while there, but also I was really fast on the bike for a little while there. Yeah. It sounds to me like new trails, new scenery, and possibly riding with new people. Like I know you moved mm-hmm. to Bellingham a little while ago. You're riding with a whole bunch of new people all the time. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a huge help as well too. Yeah. I think just mixing it up, getting yourself out of the rut is a really good way to progress. And that has always been true for me. I don't know, just, just yeah. doing it, just putting in the time and giving yourself opportunities to rise to the occasion. I think like we're pretty good at figuring it out if we put ourselves in a situation that we have to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Matt? When were you progressing the most in your riding, aside from when you started? Right. I think that would probably be a while ago. The first, <laughs> How many years, Matt? How yeah, many years? The first, the first big advance I, I had would probably be the 2010 season. I, like Alicia, spent a lot of time in the gym in the off season, and I also rode a brakeless BMX at an indoor skate park. That was. How did that help you? just so much balance and control, I guess. Okay. And just, yeah, just bike handling skills. Yeah. Just, you're really in touch with what the bike was doing. And then if you've ever jumped on a trail bike and then gone to a downhill bike, it's kind of that same feeling. Like you just kind of feel invincible when you get on a bigger bike, mm-hmm. which is anything bigger than a BMX. Yeah. Yeah. So you want the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> brakes. Cool. <laughs> I like brakes. Yeah, me too. And then I went, yeah, to the polar opposite world from this indoor skate park to sun peaks as sort of a summer training ground with a proper downhill bike. Mm-hmm. And I felt very technically sound, but just getting used to the the speed that you can ride there 
it just opened my mind and like I was able to follow some local riders and, and kind of realized how fast you can go when yeah. you open it up. Yeah. So that just sort of added like another realm of my downhill capabilities. Yeah. It's funny, eh? Like you think you're going pretty good and then you come around a corner and you meet up with some people on the trail who are going much more pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a, there's always somebody faster. Totally. And, and riding with them is what pushes you. Like for myself, I like to ride with people who are a little bit better and at something about riding, whether it's the climbing or the descending and that pushes me. And I think that's a big help, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And yeah, you go to a new place and you're not totally familiar with it. You do a couple laps and you're feeling like you're riding pretty good. And then some local shows up and jeans and DC shoes and just absolutely smokes you. Right. I love that. Every town has some <laughs> asshole in yeah. who wears jorts and is better than you. Yeah. Love it. yeah. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't care that he's better either. He rides once a month and he's better. What the hell? <laughs> Matt, it's a bit, bit more interesting with you too, because you were racing a hell of a lot back then. So like myself, I mean, I was just riding, but you were definitely like more focused. So you had like results to look at and to see your progression and I guess that leads me to my question. Did you see that progression? Like, were you going faster and faster and faster? I did. Yeah. I had a handful of years that were really good and, and just kind of trended upwards. And then, so it was like 2010 and yeah, I just kept riding more downhill with more local riders. You know, they were on the Canadian race circuit and racing internationally and just riding a lot of downhill bikes and cross country and the, and the gym training too on the side. But, um, yeah, just generally having fun in bike parks. And then 2014, I was kind of on a lesser bike setup and then, you know, was gaining confidence and just had a number of like bad incidents due to that bike. And the next year was kind of when things took off with like proper 27.5 downhill bikes. Yeah. And that was sort of like the next step in like my progression, I guess. And I kind of regained that confidence by getting this new bike that was purpose built with like you know, brand new suspension at the time. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was unreal. It's crazy what a bike will do if you don't have faith in it, like what it will do to your confidence. Like we, we all ride a ton of bikes and mm-hmm. the very large majority of the bikes that we ride are really freaking good these days. Like they're insane. These trail bikes that we're riding up here are ridiculous, but I would say like two or three times a year, we ride a bike that we just don't get on with. And how that affects your confidence is you know, whether how much of it is, is in my head, I don't know, but like it's all of a sudden I'm riding like shit. Have you ever had that? Or yeah, obviously you have. Totally. Yeah. Especially <laughs> yeah. with that bike. But yeah, I guess everybody sort of has, um, you know, one type of suspension or something about a bike that speaks to them and they either feel confident in it or it just totally turns them off and they feel like they can't ride. Yeah. I know you don't like to talk about it cause you're too freaking modest. What year did you win the Canadian downhill championships? Wasn't it more than one year? Was it actually? Yeah. Uh, 20, He's 2012. Blushing. He's blushing. <laughs> 2012 at Mount St. Anne and 2015 at Sun Peaks. Jeez. Yeah. The Sun Peaks one was sick because Steve Smith was there and I was on flat pedals and I just channeled my inner Sam Hill and just cut every corner and it was a wicked run. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that's as fast or as strong as as you've ever been on a bike like i know you're not racing as much or at all really now but maybe that doesn't mean that you're going slower maybe that doesn't mean that you have regressed i don't know 
I think I still progressed and maybe went faster over the course of another two or three years. Yeah. And like I definitely had some, some good results, but that 2015 kind of battled with like a, a speed versus consistency problem, which is story of my life. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's problem, right? They reach a, a certain speed and they're trying to go faster and keep up with other people, but you take more risks and you kind of get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So I forget what your question was, but yeah, no, you got it. We got, I there. forgot too. So let's just move on. How's that Sweet. sound? <laughs> like it. Yeah. Kaz, I'm not sure if you've regressed at all. When, when, when were you progressing the most though? I mean, the first, I kind of feel similar to Alicia. Like the first times I progressed were going to bike parks. Well, I guess my real first progression would be first full suspension bike. It's like I rode hardtails for a long time, like grip yeah. hardtails, but then, um, somewhere in like the early 2000s, I got a full suspension bike. And then it was just like game on. I was like, oh, I can just huck off everything. I want to just jump off stairs. And that was like the first progression into, you know, riding harder trails. Um, and then from then it's like, you got the full suspension bike, then it started going to bike parks. And that's right around when bike parks started popping up in some more areas. It's still early days of Whistler, but we would drive all the way from Colorado up to Whistler. Yeah. And I feel like those, that week or two we'd spend in, in Canada. Um, uh, that was like my progression for the summer. Like I'd come back and be like, feels like so much better on a bike. We were probably at the bike park together. Some of those weekends. We oh, just yeah, didn't sure. know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 2003 to six or whatever. Yeah. We drive up all the time. But then after that, so I'd say that was kind of like a progression and then moving to Bellingham and be even closer. Um, again, it's a lot of it has to do with the access to terrain. Like if you're, if your local riding area doesn't have any jumps or any drops or anything, you're just not going to progress. And so when it's accessible and you can ride it, if every ride you can hit 10 jumps, no matter what, um, it just, it's so much easier to progress. So that was probably like the last, like the, the next stage in progression. Yeah. All three of you have said terrain or location where you're riding and the people you're riding with as the main factors. What about the media that you guys are watching? So, I mean, we don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't watch as many mountain bike videos as I used to. But when these videos used to come out, it used to be a big deal. And we'd watch them over and over again and get pumped up. And we'd see these things. And then we'd go out in the bush and build something similar-ish, but way more sketchy. <laughs> Kaz knows what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that was a big factor in my progression as well. Like those days of like neural disorder, four, five, six, seven, like that's when I was progressing the most. My buddy Wade and I, we would watch things and then we would go in the force and we'd build these jumps and drops and yeah, it's inspiring stuff. I don't get that same inspiration from videos anymore. Alicia, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think I've never really been the type of person to watch a lot of riding videos, which is kind of a blind spot for me in a lot of ways, but and that's why I probably am terrible to watch riding. Like I never developed style because I never watched it happen. If you don't have style, I don't know what that says about me, Alicia. <laughs> I think you've crushed yeah, every photo article we've done from the field test. You're just always like, like always crossed up and like turned yeah. down table thing. I think Tom's just a really good photographer. Like he, <laughs> Tom just like, he gets it when it happens. Yeah, okay. But it yeah. doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. But you're doing yeah, it sometimes. Like, huh? You're doing it sometimes for sure. Once in a while. Yeah. But it's not videos for you is what you're saying. No, it's not videos for me. I think I just get a lot more stoked from being around people and feeling that energy in real life. And like, I love watching people ride crazy stuff in real life, but yeah. it just doesn't really do it for me sitting, sitting in front of the computer. It, yeah. I just, we used to not watch videos on computers. There's these things yeah. called VHS tapes oh, and DVDs. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put on like North shore. I'm dating seven. myself, uh -huh. dating yeah. myself young. Cause when you guys were like, really riding a lot of skinnies. I was busy being born and being a yeah, toddler. Yeah, you're going to kindergarten and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I know. But I think there is yeah. that is a change. Like, 
these days i don't think i'm inspired that much by video like bike media videos and things like they're cool and i like it's harder it. to relate to them yeah or you have someone like caleb polanco like jumping a hole like th- it's like the level of crazy has gotten so crazy that's like doesn't seem as attainable but the things that people were doing in the early 2000s was like a lot of it seemed kind of attainable and it was like yeah. we could go and do something similar or at least you know feel like we were doing something similar Kaz, um, when those north shore extreme movies would come out much like me, you would watch them and then you would drive to North Vancouver and you would go up there and try to ride the things. Yeah, exactly. And some of them I could, some I couldn't, obviously. Like, I don't want to say that I was as good as those people back then either, but there were definitely more things I could do. Like, like the people that were towards the top of the free ride era at that time, I could do more things that they could do then than I can do now of like the best people, if that makes sense. It's yeah. hard to put into words. But yeah, like, I got that. Like the top guys are, and girls now are so, they're at a, just a different level. Yeah. I wrote a thing once a while ago, just once. <laughs> Um, about how I don't really relate. I said, basically mountain bike movies don't stoke me out. Cause I don't relate to them. It has, you know, so-and-so doing a four backflips over a spine off a drop and a thing. It's like, that is amazing. I will watch it over and over and over again and be blown away by it. But it's kind of like the same thing. Like, do you remember like the Ryan Leach sections in oh, crank movies? Ridiculous ridiculous i just watched one the other day yeah isn't it amazing <laughs> like cracked four uh, the lily pad one where you like yeah, yeah. Little, like, that thing. one and there was like the quebec one yeah we were in quebec city yeah yeah yeah, yeah. where he like drops off yeah. the thing <laughs> yeah and disappears yeah yeah i think that was fake but amazing but at the same time i didn't i wasn't like yeah i'm gonna go out and ride a whole bunch of skinnies and stuff so that's sort of how i feel about modern mountain bike movies and I, some people got angry about that but I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to stick to it. Like I mount, modern mountain bike movies don't really stoke me out like they used yeah. to. And there's also a lot fewer of them. Like there's not as many full length movies. Like back then we would have a video that would come out that'd be, you know, 35 or 45 minutes long. You would put it in and watch the whole thing. Now yeah. it's like these little bite-sized TikTok segments. So like five seconds or all the Instagrammers go and do the one stunt over and over to see who's the toughest of them all. And it's just kind of like, Caleb it's wins. just like Stop. everybody stops. <laughs> yeah, Caleb wins. No one, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go do your weird little rock roll and squamish all the time but <laughs> <laughs> i will say though that all those clips amongst all the people out building and the access to bike parks and trails nowadays the videos the more there are the more you can also relate to but you can watch exactly what they're doing and mimic their movements over and over and over until you kind of translate that into your body language and I need to start doing that, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, look, that's how you do a manual on a BMX. It's a lot different than the body position on a mountain bike. This is how you nose wheelie. This is, you know, where they start using the brakes. Yeah. This is how far mm-hmm. forward they are. Yeah. There's lots of ways to learn. Yeah. I spent a lot of winters pausing and rewinding VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would or say that's, that's a good point because now it is easier to actually find, like, things that'll be useful for for real learning. Or yeah, yeah same mm-hmm. way, like used to like trying to learn how to mountain bike from a magazine. Like that's how I tried to learn. <laughs> like that was really hard <laughs> it's like oh it says do this i'll do this but i don't know you said to but, flip the pages really fast yeah exactly <laughs> flip book i learned from a flip book that's why my writing's like it is <laughs> but yeah now you could like type in how to wheelie and there's probably 500 videos on how to wheelie and there's it. apps for that yeah exactly like you know how effective it is it all is i mean it's definitely more effective than a magazine so i think that there's more resources for people trying to learn even if you are in a place where there's not that many riders at least you now can kind of like tap into a network of like videos or message boards or whatever to yeah. be like, how do I do this? So it's, it's a good time for people to learn. And I think it shows in the, 
skill level, like most, the average rider skill level I'd say now is higher than it's ever been. It's crazy. People, even people that pick up the sport late, they can progress so much quicker than they would have before. Yeah. You guys, well, Alicia, you mentioned it a little bit, but nobody else said it, said it. Another factor for me, stopping to session things on the trail, which is something that I never, ever do anymore, which we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But when you're riding with your people and you stop on a trail, whether it's some stupid skinny chasmer or we like, did like a, 75 laps of that one this morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or jumps or drops or even like a corner or a climb. And I don't find myself doing that anymore or nearly as much. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but I was going to mention that too, actually. And just not so much sessioning, but actually building a trail for yourself Yeah. or working on a trail crew at a bike park. You learn where every rock and route is. You spot these different lines that, you know, other people aren't riding or you think you could go through the section faster and just analyzing that trail. So kind of applies to sessioning where you stop and look at the feature off the bike and you're not just reacting to what's coming at you. Yeah. You're actually deciding, okay, I'm going to go here at this time and do this motion through the feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alicia, do you session things as much as you used to? Not right now as much as I've used to, I think, but I try to, like, I think I've always tried to be intentional about it and just, I think that's the best way to learn. Like, yeah. Repetition. The, just the volume of riding is not that high. If you just go out for a trail ride and ride whatever trail you pick once and go home and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Like that's just not the way to improve. But if you stop and say like, get the one hard part of the trail five times, that's, you're probably progressing as much as if you've ridden the trail five laps in a row and then went home that's, or more because you've actually, yeah. you're stopping to look at it and you're mm-hmm. probably watching your friends do it. Maybe mm-hmm. do it poorly. Maybe do it well. For sure. Yeah. See, I wanted a session a lot yesterday, but you guys didn't want to session. Kaz, I, Wait, we I did. hate skinnies. You guys got to watch me like crumple a million times in a row on that one skinny. That wasn't sessioning. That was like a brief pause. Session is it like, was, you're out there for like a long time. A brief pause to repeatedly try something. <laughs> we did I session today. We would session skinnies today. So that was We good. did session a skinny today. Yeah. That was pretty good. I will mention one thing on this topic of sessioning. Skinnies? Is that not skinnies. They can be terrifying unless they're right on the ground, but you can practice them <laughs> in your driveway. Agreed. And that goes back to my point I'm about to mention about pump tracks yeah. and their oh, accessibility yeah. and how everybody can learn no matter what your skill level is. Even if you're a professional BMX racer, you can go there and practice that, you know, basically 30 seconds from your car, yeah. you can drive up, you can pedal over, whatever. And they're everywhere. They don't have to be in a mountain bike destination, yeah. but they teach every cyclist and pump, a pump track doesn't mm-hmm. look like mountain biking, but those skills that applies to mountain biking yeah. very yeah. much, obviously. When I'm at my best feeling really good on the bike, I feel like that's when I'm pumping the most and just really, I'm either like pushing down on my bike or lifting up on my bike. It feels like all the time. And I think that's when I'm personally feeling the best. Mm-hmm. And that's probably on a bike that you're comfortable with and yes, you can sure. kind of get in touch with. Yeah, yeah. And when I'm reading what's coming at me pretty quickly. So I know I just want to shout out Elliot Jackson and his Grow Cycling Foundation I think he, out of everyone in the sport, is doing a lot to make it accessible. And he's putting a pump track in California, not close to any actual mountain bike trails, and yeah. just bringing people into the sport who otherwise wouldn't get to touch it. And I think that's just seeing that and making it happen, like seeing the possibility there, and then making it into reality is like such a good way to just raise the bar. No, yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, pump tracks are great. I, I like them. Kaz, <laughs> good, good, good input, Kaz. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <No. laughs> Kaz, 
do you session stuff as much as you used to like when you first moved to bellingham no not as much i think also the way trails are built now has kind of changed too i think trails have a lot more flow like back in the day it was almost Excellent like point. bouldering problems where you'd like get to one weird little skinny or a teeter-totter or a drop and then you'd ride another 100 yards and be another little thing so you're like picked your way down the trail but now a lot of trails are a lot better built and i think you can kind of like flow into it like once you get the rhythm of it you can yeah just kind of go through it i think even around here there's a new trail that a lot of us rode this summer that was like once you got it you could just flow through and you didn't have to like stop and pick it apart like we all looked yeah. at different moves on it but it wasn't like the old days where you'd have to like try each move over and over again that's a really good point kaz those old trails back in the early 2000s and around that time it almost a lot of times it felt like we were riding from stunt to stunt to stunt and we would stop put up, take our bags off get our cameras out hurt ourselves move on to the next thing you know smash a derailleur but trails are very different now that is a that's a really relevant point i feel like yeah should we should we talk about the opposite of progressing we're going to be downers for a little bit here the four of us i think we've been riding bikes for a relatively long time long enough to get a whole lot better but also long enough to regress in some ways as well. And I think that's probably true for a lot of the pinkers out there that are listening to this. Life happens, injuries happen, kids happen, uh, getting old, getting sore. Even Nino is going to slow down a tiny bit one day, Kaz, maybe. Maybe. He's not showing one too day. many signs of that. But yeah. No, I don't <laughs> think he is. Mr. Matt Beer. Hello. What aspect of your riding are you not as good at as you might have been a few years ago? What have you regressed at? That's a tough one. Maybe not even mountain biking as much because I feel like any regression that I have had, the bikes have progressed more and helped me attain that same level. At yeah. least that's yeah. the way I feel about them. Yeah. But I would say I do a lot less BMX riding than I used to and have kind of not necessarily lost tricks, but just lost the interest in trying them. Mm -hmm. So mostly on the BMX, but I would say in the bike park and, you know, racetracks, I guess, downhill stuff, I don't feel the need or want to go as fast for like a full run as I used to anymore. And I can kind of choose. Thank when. God. <laughs> <laughs> How about you though? Like you built lots of jumps. You told me about some crazy stuff you built in Chilliwack. Yeah. That was a long time ago and I don't do those anymore. Right. Yeah. I, I would say that jumping and drops are probably, I mean, that's the first thing I think most people lose. And I've definitely lost a lot of confidence on that stuff. I think I've wanted to, my, how I ride a bike has changed a lot. Like now I just want to cover ground. I just want to be out there and pedaling a long time. And I, I mean, that doesn't put you in the kind of mindset where you stop and session things. And I'm also doing it alone a lot of times. And when I'm alone, I feel like I'm a, I mean, I'm a pretty, I think I'm a decent rider, but I can, I know that I could also be pretty fucking sketchy. I love skidding around and I love having fun and like maybe being an idiot. And sometimes you catch a pedal and flip over the handlebars and get really hurt. And I don't want to do that because I'm going to be by myself way out there. So I would that say, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I would say because of how, because of the rides I've wanted to do have changed. I think that's affected my confidence on a lot of jumps and drops. Not sure. in touch with it anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's also hard to jump gravel bikes. <laughs> How do you know, Kaz? You should come for a ride with me. Yeah, I'll come. Can we stop and session no, skinnies on? I'm just joking. <laughs> you can do, you can do I'd skinnies. I'd be embarrassed if you came with me. Yeah. You can do but skinnies you, on gravel bikes. You do make a good point as well, Kaz. Also, my the bikes that I've 
wanted to ride have changed a lot. I used to be same mindset as you. Like, I mean, I, I don't mean it that way, but you enjoy riding a big travel bike. Like if you got a 170 bike, you, you love riding that thing. Whereas myself, I don't really have a lot of interest in riding that stuff anymore. I used to, but it's not really, I don't really, I don't know. I don't, I'm not interested as much. And when I'm not on that style of bike, I'm on some silly pedal bike that has too much anti-squat, not big enough tires. Um, you know, well, they just play to your favors. Like that's what you want to ride. Yeah. And that's what works better. Whereas, you know, a big enduro bike that's heavy, it's going to be good for going straight up some stupid, silly fire road climb and then straight back down the gnarliest thing. Yeah. So if you're trying to cover ground, you're obviously not going to choose that bike. And if you're having fun on the smaller bike, then that's what you're, you're yeah. doing. No, but at the same time, dude, you know how frustrating it is to ride a trail that you've ridden for 20 years or more than 20 years, and you've been hitting the jumps on that trail for 18 of those years, and now you're riding the same trail and you're not hitting those fucking jumps? You know how frustrating that could be? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've been there. I've done that with, you know, eroded sections of the trail on the shore. Because yeah. over 20 years, those trails change a lot. I would say there are trails now that I used to ride all the time and that were some of my favorite trails that I don't enjoy riding nearly as much as I used to because of the things on them and that I go around them and that pisses me off so much. Yeah. Kaz, what have you regressed at? Um, my oppo whipped a... Um, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, same. Total yeah. yeah. Yeah, my knack-knacks are lacking. No, I think that my overall speed this year, I felt a little slow, like especially midsummer, I didn't feel like I had like the... Like I did some races, but I didn't feel like I could click on the speed. I've never been like the fastest rider ever kind of mm -hmm. person, not like Matt here, but like there is like a, he's blushing again. I, know. <laughs> I love bringing that Kaz up. Just like took off down the chuck nuts when we were doing that enduro field test. I was like, man, I want like, oh, uh, we did actually have full did that too, Matt. I was there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. You all rode really well that day. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I can, but like some of the races this year, I just didn't feel like I had that, like I couldn't tap into the race pace that I've been able to in the past. And again, like I've never been a pro racer or anything, but there is like a different speed. You can kind of like unlock where everything feels like it's working. So this yeah. year I felt like a little slower than is I Is it a lack to. of desire, a lack of confidence? Some it could be desire. It could just be like riding too much. Probably it was more likely the cause, but that definitely makes you kind of like, you don't have like that quick snappiness, you know, like I can go ride for hours and hours, but sometimes you need that power or that snap. Yeah. Um, and that could be an age thing too. Like I am getting older. So, and I've had some big injuries too. Yeah. So I think all that kind of like culminates, but like, as far as like technical proficiency, I felt really good this year, but I think my overall speed wasn't quite where I yeah. was used to it. So that's kind of dropping a bit. Do you think that we all like to ride different areas around the world? Yeah. And we have a lot of diverse trails in our backyards. Do you think that not going as fast anymore? has to do with the amount of times you ride the same trail over and over? Uh, I'm not sure. Cause like I traveled this year. I mean, who knows? Maybe some of it could be like the last couple of years I didn't have as many Whistler days because of the COVID and stuff. You know, I think that helps you get the speed up when you go to the bike park and be able to like let it go and you just get used to that speed. So if you're just riding your home trails, it's kind of hard to get that. Like, like there's, I can't think of very many trails where I go as fast as I do in the bike park because like mm. the trails are 20 feet wide and you can just let it go. So that could have affected my speed a bit too. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'd say speed feel like it's just dropped a bit. And maybe riding with the younger riders that are faster and just seeing the gap kind of starting to happen. Feel slower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To like I might kids, be going yeah. just as fast as always, but then you watch some, you know, younger kids and like, oh, I can't go that fast. But yeah. I think it's good too to you know ride with. Obviously, we talk about riding with different people. Riding with faster people, like oh well, how do so I get to ride that with speed? me more, Kaz? but I want to ride with faster people. Oh, 
Kaz, right now you're older than you've ever been. True. Yes, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but you're still hitting the same or bigger jumps than you've ever hit, from my understanding. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, you, you just said you haven't done much bike park time lately, which bike park time equals jump time to me. That's how you get good at jumps. So why, how are yeah. you still doing this? Well, I think I've always liked to, like my desire to hit jumps and ride techie trails and that stuff hasn't gone away. So like, even after I, you want to, I got hurt in 2018 pretty bad, but even that injury, I knew I would still be like jumping and doing all that stuff again. So I think it's just a inner desire that like, that's what I like to ride. That's the style. Mm -hmm. And I still, you know, I can't hit the biggest jumps out there, but I like to be at like a pretty solid level to be able to ride most trails, most places. So. Can I ask you a question about your back or do you want to not yeah, talk yeah. about it? Yeah. So you broke your back 2018. I remember that super gnarly. You showed me the spot yesterday and what happened up at the Whistler bike park. Ridiculous. Cause I'm, I'm glad you're alive. How did you come back from that mentally? Cause for myself, like when I'm coming up to a section, you know, sometimes there's definitely times where I'll be rolling into something and I have about 14 thoughts in my head and none of them are good <laughs> about what might happen. So how do you overcome that scariness? Yeah, I think one, I think it's time and it's getting used. It's just like getting, it's hard to accept that it takes a little while to come back from something like that. Cause you want to hop on right away and be fully a hundred percent. And I have buddies that try that tactic. Like there's a guy I ride with pretty regularly. He's also hurt pretty regularly, <laughs> but when he comes back, he, he tries to like turn it to 12 right away. And you're like, you have to chill. And I've seen him just like first ride back after, you know, broken hand or something. He just goes full speed. Cause he thinks that's kind of like getting back on the horse and yeah. he can do that. And that doesn't work for me. Like I kind of ease into it. Like it's still obviously like all of us do when we're coming back from injury, probably push it sooner than we should. But like when things weren't feeling right, I'd, I wouldn't like, I don't know. I tried to like listen to my brain a little bit more than I might normally have. Like, but not too much like me, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm able to turn it off, but I think I don't know. I'd, I'd imagine it happens with a lot of rides. You get smarter as you get older. Like nowadays, if I can't get something in three roll-ups, I definitely don't do it where, you know, in other years past, I would just kind of be like force, force your brain to turn off and do it. So, yeah. um, yeah, maybe I'm getting a little smarter as I get older, but it definitely took time. And it was frustrating to like not feel that confidence for riding drops or whatever. You're just, you're just a general like bike handling when you're coming back from a broken back is like, it's pretty annoying. Did once you, you realize it won't break again on its own, that's nice. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Did you practice with purpose to come back? Like, did you go out to do jumps and drops and like tick off things with purpose? Not really. Like at first I was just stoked to ride a bike in general. So I started with like XC rides and just kind of like, as things start to feel more normal, then you just start riding, you know, hit a drop, yeah. hit a jump and like, oh, that feels normal. Like it didn't, it's definitely weird. Like the first drop you go off of after having like your spine fused a little bit is really weird. <laughs> like what's going to happen? So casual. Fused a little bit. <laughs> Well, it's just only in a little spot, but yeah, it is, it is strange, but, uh, yeah, that stuff, it's, it's hard. It just takes time. So I feel like that's long enough ago now. That's not really affecting me much, but that first year I'd say probably was definitely affected that. Yeah. Yeah. Alicia, where have you regressed in your riding? How have you regressed? I think I can speak to right now this week. I feel like I'm just not quite there on the bike and that probably comes down to time and yeah, yeah just time on the bike mostly, but Basically, we were at Crankworks, we were all riding laps, we were, I think, having a great time, and I felt like the only trails that exist in the bike park were like Dirt Merchant and Slayer, and we were just doing that over and over and over, and I left feeling kind of on top of the world with riding bikes, and then I went and like, went hard paragliding for a month, and progressed a lot there, and just my mind wasn't in biking, and I was still riding bikes, I still went on trail rides, and it just wasn't really where my attention was, and where I 
was putting a lot of care. Mm-hmm. Um, and now coming back to Whistler, it's pretty wild to be back after what, like six weeks, eight weeks, however long it's been mm-hmm. and feel like I'm in such a lower place than last time I was here. And it's kind of, oh. I, I know what you need. You need a downhill bike. That's what I was just going to say. Because you got so excited at Crankworks riding oh downhill God, bikes. that was so yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 If anyone hasn't heard yet, I'm just going to live out the rest of my life as a park rat. So anyway, say goodbye to trail rider, Alicia. <laughs> you need like double shuttle buddy friends because you could just do downhill laps and then paraglide laps. And then yeah. Yeah, you just need a driver, top of the world. Like a personal driver. I need a personal driver. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a great idea. Casimir. Yeah. Comment section. I'm taking applicants. Yeah. <laughs> I knew a guy that had a driver for a season once. What? Yes. Yeah. How? Uh, How did he obtain this driver? Was it his mom? What happened? No. Uh, well, he, I won't say his name, but he, he found a guy that was a, is like an out of work logger that really liked big trucks. And this guy had a really big truck. So he would pay this guy a little bit to shuttle him all summer. Cause he, this guy loved hmm. driving this Just guy's driving truck. Trucks. So Maybe he would, you like driving. I love driving. Yeah. You want to drive me places? I would drive you places, but if we're going to drive up the mountain, I'm going to have to do it in something fast with lots of suspension and not an Astro van. My Astro van's really good. <laughs> it's fast. Down the hill and you don't use the brakes? <laughs> they don't work. <laughs> it goes fast some places sometimes. Yeah. With a tailwind. Yeah. Okay. Alicia, you're here riding trail bikes mm-hmm. and six weeks ago you're here riding downhill bikes. And trail bikes. I was and, riding a lot of bikes six yeah, weeks and, ago. And yeah. trail bikes. I'm pretty sure that if you spent another week or two here, like we're going to do, mm-hmm. by the end of that time, I'm, you're going to be back to where you were. I really hope so. It's been a little disheartening these last few days to just not feel like it's clicking for me and, mm-hmm. you know, have that feeling that things are just coming at you way too fast and you're just hanging on and not riding aggressively when, yeah. you know, when you're riding defensively and know you should be over the bike, like charging and driving it and you you remember how it feels and just don't feel like you have it in you yeah i think to me is one of the most frustrating things i also want to say though that you've been on well we've all been on a different bike like every second or third run Mm -hmm. and that is not how you build confidence especially in a bike park you know it's great don't get me wrong it's a ton of fun to ride these things and compare them and and all that Mm -hmm. but they're all slightly different in their own ways. They have, some of them have different brakes and different suspension. And yeah, I mean, I don't think that is a recipe for confidence. I don't think so either. And I think going back to what we were saying earlier about like feeling good physically, like mm-hmm. when you're really fit, when you have a ton of upper body strength, it's really easy to ride bikes fast downhill. Yeah. And I think right now I'm coming into it just like a little exhausted. Yeah. Like I'm mentally and physically totally drained right now. And that's, not really giving me the confidence to um, to feel like I can handle big compressions and yeah. everything that's going to just keep coming at me faster and faster if I ride harder. Yeah. Should I tell Should I tell everybody that we're all going to get jacked in the off season? Oh, we are. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Kaz and I especially. Yeah. What, um, why not me? Why can't oh, I get jacked? I just felt like we had a little bit of a pact. I actually don't want to get jacked because that's more weight and I don't, that'll slow my climbing time. So. <laughs> Speaking no, of regression. You, you should join. Matt, you're welcome to join, but you're already kind of jacked. So like, uh, you can teach us how. <laughs> yeah. I've been very slim this year due to health complications, but Levy's going to get me on a 200 a day push up program. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I looked at a training program and it only had riding. Like Alicia <laughs> sent me a, a training program and then there was only bike riding two days a week. It well, you can supplement it with more bike riding. I think that's, Training specific rides. Like, uh, I don't know if that counts fun rides. You're going to ride seven days a week no matter what, but just 
Yeah. Told you, good that's you about be, the trans. If you didn't ride so much. Yeah, but I have to review all these bikes. I know. If I didn't have to review the bikes, I probably would ride a little less. Actually, that that brings up a good point. I think another factor in me not having as much confidence is what I touched on earlier. I'm not testing as many bikes these days, but I used to test a ton of bikes. And I'm definitely somebody who feels like I have to get used to a bike a little bit. So Mm -hmm. when I was riding all these bikes, like personally for me, I found that especially the short travel bikes, I was losing confidence because I'd be on a different bike, like, you know, every two or three weeks. And yeah. And like Alicia mentioned, you know, if you're not doing a lot of downhill time, you're just pedaling that bike. Mm -hmm. It's not real. It's saddle time, but it's not really like engaging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one more thing I want to touch on before we move on is that I found that as I get worse at one thing, if I feel like I'm okay with that part not progressing, I put a hell of a lot of effort into getting better at another aspect of riding. So like, obviously, Kaz, my free riding days are long behind me. My big jump days are long behind me, but I like being fit now. I like working hard on a bike. Um, Have you found Kaz, like if you, I mean, you haven't really regressed anything. My question is going to be, my question was going to be, are you progressing in other areas like to compensate for you maybe not pushing yourself in something else but i don't think that's the case with you yeah i'm just trying to maintain i'd like to like stay just keep keep at this level forever yeah because you're the steadiest person i've ever met oh <laughs> i'm trying that's my goal mr consistent yeah, yeah i try it's not to yeah. annoying Kaz. you don't have to try to maintain well i'm gonna continue maintain i'm Except not gonna age jacked. i'm just gonna like pause it. and yeah i'll get jacked yeah. but otherwise i'm just gonna stay the same that's are we gonna goal. go on testosterone uh, let's talk later. Okay. Yeah, let's talk. <laughs> it's a different podcast. I know a guy. <laughs> uh, what about you, Alicia? Is there anything where, is there any aspect of riding where you've progressed more at? You've put more effort towards? Yeah, I think I'm riding more jumps than I used to. Uh, maybe at the expense of some speed. Like, I think I used to just try to ride trails as fast as I possibly could. And mm-hmm. I'm also having more fun than I used to. And I think that counts for a lot. Like, Huge. maybe I've slowed down a bit, but. I'm finding the side hits. I'm getting marginally better to watch on the bike. I'm like, I'm just having a good time. I'm riding with friends. I think that is going to keep me riding a lot longer and have me progress much more over time than just burning myself out trying to ride trails fast. But there's definitely trade-offs. Like whenever I'm progressing in something, I'm stalling out in another area. You're more well-rounded now, you would say. I'm progressing yeah. rapidly in paragliding. <laughs> yeah, but then Free Ride Fridays help with the bike ride. Yeah, we've been doing Free Ride Fridays. Tell, Kaz tell me about and Free Ride Fridays. And, and uh, Kaz takes me to really gnarly features and then I ride them. Uh-huh. Oh, it's been working really it's well. Actually She's really doing great. great. Yeah, it's Kaz pretty, just peer pressures you into riding actually. skinnies. <laughs> no, like pretty big. Like we did some good jumps and steeps and things. We tried to do new, there's like new trail rock, Friday for a little while too. Committing rock features. Yeah, yeah. New trail Friday. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, Often combined with Free Ride Friday. You're welcome. Anybody, well, not anybody, but no. anyone in this room is welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Matt, are you going to Free Ride Friday? I would like to. Yeah. Bellingham yeah, and the shoulder season is so good. Yeah. 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 I want to explore more there. Okay. Let's let's talk about how to keep progressing. Uh, let's we, we definitely hit on a couple things there, but let's list off ideas on how we can keep progressing. And we talked about a change of location. Is really important to change of terrain, uh, new trails, new challenges, and obviously riding with people um, and sessioning things. We hit on that as well. What about? Have you guys ever thought about getting a coach? I've had a coach oh. before. I've had a coach for 
fitness stuff. How was that? Amazing. I mean, it really, like I said, it was kind of unsustainable, but it was pretty cool having the pressure on. Like she, uh, I had a heart rate monitor that uploaded to a website that she could see basically oh, everything I ever did. And you better be working that hard. That made me so neurotic that I just went way harder than I needed to all the time. <laughs> Sounds healthy. Uh, <laughs> was it gym stuff? Yeah. And bike stuff. Okay. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It took over my entire life. Every area of my life. Is that when you were racing EWS? No, that was actually, so I did EWS a lot in like 2018 and then 2019 is kind of when I stayed around here and did a bunch of kind of national level races and was, I would say, at my best in terms of speed on the bike. Okay. Skills coach too as well? No, no. I've never had one. I would love to work with one sometime. Same, yeah. Like, yeah. I know I, one that could probably help you out. You know somebody, I guess. I kind of like taught myself to bike and I'm clearly super flawed, so we should. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk to your guy. Uh, Matt, tell me about your coach. How was that? It was incredible. I also, like Alicia, had a strength coach. And at times I was going three times a week to see that person in a group, which also helped. Yeah. And just motivated everybody there to push harder. And on top of that, the coach definitely uh, just pushed us beyond what we were ever capable of. Yeah. Ever willing to do, yeah. for sure. Mm -hmm. But on the bike, no, I would say most of the coaching has been like self-coaching, but also through groups, just other peers. And whether that's sessioning or riding laps in the bike park or on a downhill track or just, you know, every day out in the woods kind of thing, riding with other people. Even if they're generally slower than you, you might learn one or two things. Matt, what have you? What do you learn from me? I learned how to do these sick Scandi flicks in the corners. Oh, in yeah. I'm pretty sure you already knew how to do that. <laughs> no, you did Levy's it way a better than I did. Yeah. Levy's yeah. really good at not bringing it back. It's, it's a different yeah. technique. <laughs> you got the shot. I don't shot. care what my back end is doing as long as my front end is going where it needs to go. Okay, Kaz, would you ever do a coach? Yeah, I've never had a, like a strength coach sounds sweet because I don't really know what to do for that stuff. Like I've done, yeah. I've had training programs and stuff, but it's always just been like teach yourself like everything. So I, I don't really know what to do in the gym. Yeah. So that'd be cool. Yeah. I've never had a real coach, but a few years, four or five, I don't know, six years ago, um, a buddy who raced cross country at a pretty high level definitely helped me out with some training. And it was different than like just looking something up and you know, oh, this is what I do because this is what so-and-so do, does. Like this guy would tell me what to do and I would talk to him afterwards and he would change things. And in three months, I went from being like, yeah, I'm okay, to being the fittest and strongest I've ever been in my life. Yeah, like, accountability just counts for so much. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. You think you don't care what other people think until someone's like watching your heart rate. Oh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Like I would go for rides and he would come with me and I was training for XC racing, training for XC racing. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be doing, you know, all the things, all the different types of intervals and all this stuff. And he would come with me. And just the fact that I knew that this asshole was behind me, yelling mm -hmm. at me, calling me a piece of shit, made me go harder. I, that's what I want. That's what I need. I don't need that. If someone yells at me, calls me a piece of shit, I'm leaving. That'd be the worst coach for me. No, it wasn't yeah. like that. It wasn't like in a <laughs> mean way. I would quit. I would have trouble. Yeah, I like that personally. I know you do. If it was because it's from him and I know him and I've known mm -hmm. him for like 20 years and kind of have that He's shit. lovingly calling you a piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, it's a shit-talking relationship. Okay. Which is, it helps me blossom oh. <laughs> into oh, yeah. the rider that I am uh. today. 
jokes aside, I do think there's a lot of merit in riding with people faster than you and putting yourself in that pretty uncomfortable place. Like yeah. for me, sometimes when I'm a little bit stalled out with progression, I don't necessarily want to ride with people who are better than me, yeah. faster uphill or downhill or whatever, just because it makes me feel bad. I don't like feeling like I'm the slowest in the group or whatever. We test but bikes. We're supposed yeah. to be the best. Being able to put yourself in that position and also have that perspective that also the people you're riding with are ridiculously fast. They're not representative of normalcy. Yeah. Um, I think it's so, so beneficial. This summer I was on the Mike Casimir training program where Kaz pedals faster than I do and I die trying to keep up and it makes me stronger. And you're stronger now because of that. I was stronger a month ago because of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's been downhill after that paraglider trip though. <laughs> I'll write up my training plan and publish it and make some money off it. All right. <laughs> Pedal, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, no. <laughs> Matt, this is kind of goes along with what Alicia said. We've done a bit of riding together now at field tests and things. And I love following you because when I'm behind you, you can obviously go faster than what you're going, but you're, you're going a speed that I can sort of like kind of keep you ish, like in view, you know, sometimes I'm with you, sometimes I'm not, you're but there. I can see what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is super interesting to me because you're riding at, I'm just putting out a number like 60% and I'm riding at 80% or 90% or whatever it is. So you have that bandwidth to do these things at that pace that I don't see or am never going to try. And that's super interesting. Yeah. It's really fun following Matt too. Cause he's so composed and quiet while doing it. Yeah. And so you can I'm like yelling, <laughs> like see how quickly everything is coming at him and also see how not a big deal it can be. Like he just points the bike and just does it. He doesn't know he's doing it though. He's just he sitting doesn't. here looking he's at us like I've heard that before from other friends. Oh, you're and the quietest rider I've ever watched. Yeah, it's nice and calm. It's good. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely it's not like that way very, in my head. Very good posture. It's like you're just standing there with a plate on your head. Yeah. And that just goes to the bike. <laughs> you know how I, I, like would, I would say he's calm. He is calm. Okay. You're very calm, man. Calm guy. Yeah. I When Dad. I do watch myself in a video, which never happens anymore, I, I always feel like I'm not the most engaged rider and I see other riders and they're super stylish and flicky and I kind of want to do that sometimes. Did you ever see that picture of yourself from field test when you're doing the toboggan like 30 feet high between those trees? <laughs> but that's like a thing. That's like a move. It's not it's like, fun to watch in person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have another friend that I ride with who's very stylish and flicky in corners and stuff and I wish I could ride like that, but I don't know what it is. I just try and go straight and absorb bumps and make it easier yeah <laughs> yeah and you do that matt rides like the poster child for like the benefits of having core strength oh yeah <laughs> yeah i think if there's like an informational poster to get us to the gym like mike and i are gonna be matt could be on the poster i think well i think i have the benefit of maybe no maybe not a benefit in other realms but you all have like a climber's physique you're pretty tall you're all pretty lanky and so maybe it's just easier if I stay still on the bike. Whereas, I don't know. Maybe we have I'm to figure out what to do on. with our limbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Where do it's I put my legs? That makes, it, yeah. that makes it easier to flick around too. So, just makes me look more to control now. A little more chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I need more Matt beer in my life. That's shorter shorter T Rex arms. <laughs> okay. That was, that was a good chat about progression and regression. Let's move on to comment gold and wrap this podcast up. This one's from underneath our trail building podcast with Jimmy. There was episode 145. So we disguised his voice because Jimmy has built a fair number of 
unsanctioned-ish trails, if you know what I mean. So PB member Megastoke had this comment underneath the podcast that seems fitting. He says, I used to build illegal trails. I still do, but I used to too. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Before we wrap this up and go ride some skinnies, I want to ask you guys what you'd like to get better at with your riding in the future and how you plan to do that. Alicia? Oh, can you come back to me? I have to think about that. Matthew Beer. I still feel like I stall in consecutive corners when they're really tight together and I don't know the trail. You definitely don't, but (laughs) (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Casimir. This is a hard one. I just want like everything. Like I always want to be getting better. So I don't have a particular one that I'm working on, I don't think. Maybe like... I still always say I want to get no handers. They're really hard. I, that's an example of my regression. I used to have them super dialed, like just throwing them in the bike park all the time. It was mm-hmm. like my one fun party trick. And then one time I almost died and now I don't have them anymore. Now I, I'm just scared. I yeah. think about it every time I'm in the air, basically. Yeah. We'll Do you want it back? back? We'll get it back. Oh, yeah. So that's gonna, that is your thing? Yeah. I took okay. one hand off today on the moon booter on yeah. A-line. I can do one hand. No yeah. problem. Every day. Like yeah. no pro- one hand anything. But like, I think maybe it's because I'm bow-legged because when I try to pinch, there's like a big gap between my legs because oh. my, like, they don't look at the gap. You need a bigger seat. Yeah, yeah I need that luggage or whatever put the on thing big, is. Like, Tioga, those yeah. big Tioga those downhill big seats. Yeah. 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 So we'll work on it maybe. No, I have the pinch fine. I just, the mental piece is not fine. Yeah. I think for me, it would be cornering. Mm-hmm. I love cornering. I don't think I'm terrible at it. You're pretty uh, good compared to me. But you I want to get in corners. <laughs> What's that? You dropped me in corners. I heard you the first time. I just wanted to hear you again. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love flat corners. That's I, fine. I ride jumps. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely have me there. <laughs> you can wave to him as you go past in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Wave my one hand. Yeah. <laughs> I took my hands off the handlebars today. Unfortunately, it was in a was corner while I was pumping my stem. <laughs> Nearly flipping over the handlebars <laughs> on those Ho Chi Minh corners. <laughs> Anyways, okay. That is it for episode 145, recorded in person from our trail bike field test in Whistler. Let us know in the comments what you've gotten worse at with your riding, but also something you've got better at. Are you still progressing? And if not, how are you dealing with that? Put it down in the comments below, and we will see you next episode. <laughs>